Have you ever been through a hurricane before? My wife and I went through Hurricane Andrew in 1991. I grew up in South Florida, and I remember the news came on that saying Hurricane Andrew was threatening to hit South Florida. And as the news began to progressively warn us about this hurricane, they told us it was a very bad one. In fact, we know that the maximum sustained winds were about 150, 160 mile an hour. Well, I had never been through a hurricane before. I remember years prior, David threatened to uh, batter South Florida, but it actually blew over us. And so we were somewhat naive about what would happen during this hurricane. I said to Laura, maybe we should just fill our bathtub up with water because it'll only be about a two day effect. Well, little did we know that we would be without a phone this was before cell phones, uh, we'd be without a home phone for three months. I think our electricity was out for a couple of months. Of course, we stayed with neighbors on the other side of Miami. Thankfully, they had their electricity restored. There was over a million people that lost their electricity. And one of the things that I noticed before Hurricane Andrew battered down on South Florida was the newscasters kept saying, Hurricane Andrew is coming, be ready. Hurricane Andrew is coming, be ready. And I think that's the theme what we want to look at this morning, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the Bible repeatedly says over and over, you and I are to be ready for the return of Christ. And you know, some people didn't take Hurricane Andrew seriously, and as a result, they died. One man took it seriously, and here is what he said, quote, I want to be ready. I lived through the hurricane of 35, and we didn't even have time to board up the house. He goes on to say, um, it went over Lake Okeechobee and then it took a U-turn, end quote. See, he was ready, but a lot of people in South Florida didn't take it seriously. They didn't board up and many, many people lost their lives. And so it is with the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus Christ is coming back and you and I need to be ready. Now, the question is, when is he coming back? I think with all that's going on in our culture today... I think we all have this sense that the rapture is going to happen at any moment. Now, you realize when it comes to the second coming, there are certain signs that must be fulfilled in order for Jesus Christ to come back at a second coming. But when it comes to the rapture, that is God taking out the church before the seven-year tribulation, there are no signs that need to be fulfilled. We would say the rapture is an imminent event. It can happen at any time. But what are some of the things as we look at getting ready for the return of Christ? What are some of the signs that we are getting closer? I think there are a number of them. Number one, Israel becoming a nation in 1948 is huge. Secondly, the rise of Islam and the alignment of certain nations like Russia and Iran. Because we know from Ezekiel 37 and 38, there's going to be this coalition of nations that come against Israel. It's going to be a Russian-Arab coalition. And that's possible in our time. Then there's the push and the preparation for the rebuilding of the third temple. Right now, they're in the process of talking about this. Number four, the increase of iniquity in our culture. It is getting darker and darker. And we also see the advancement of technology. We are living in a time right now where the mark of the beast is probable because we have the technology to pull that off. Then there's the increase of natural disasters. Then there's this push for globalization, one world economy, one world religion. We're moving in that direction to fulfill Revelation 17 and 18. 
And then, of course, there's the volatility of our economy as well. And then finally, the gospel is being preached all around the world. We still have a lot of people that are unreached that need to hear the gospel, but nevertheless, we are reaching more and more people. And so all these signs indicate that we are progressively moving fast towards the return of Jesus Christ. And again, I would say the rapture could happen at any moment. And so the question is this, how do you and I prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ or the rapture? Because there's a lot of Christians today that are sort of in a spiritual stupor. They're not ready. Well, to see this, turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we want to specifically look at verses 11 through 14 this morning. Romans chapter 13. Now, remember, in the first century, the apostles expected Jesus Christ to return in their lifetime. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, the end of all things is near. They knew or they anticipated Jesus Christ coming back in their lifetime. Little did they know that there would be this long church age that you and I are living in. In fact, if you read 2 Peter chapter 3, there were scoffers that were basically saying, where is the promise of Jesus Christ's return? Because the Christians were going around preaching that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the wicked and he's going to reward the righteous. And so some of these Jewish scoffers were saying, hey, where's the promise of his coming? Everything has been the same way as it always has been. And Peter says, you know what? They have forgotten one thing that God did intervene in history with the flood when he judged that civilization. And Peter says in chapter 3, if God judged during the flood, he is going to come back and judge again. But the reason why he's delaying is because he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. And so there were those scoffers. But nevertheless, the early church expected Jesus Christ to return and that's exactly what Paul here is reminding the Roman Christians of. He's telling them that the next event on God's divine timetable is the return of Jesus Christ. And there are three responses that the Apostle Paul gives in this text that you and I are to have as we get ready for the return of Christ. Just as Hurricane Andrew, they warned us that it was coming and the hurricane hit South Florida and did devastation, preachers today are warning Christians and non-Christians alike that Jesus Christ is coming back, but a lot of people tune uh, a deaf ear to it. So what are the responses that you and I are to have? Number one, we must wake up. We must wake up. Notice, if you will, Romans 13, verse 11. He says, and do this. Now, what's the this there? Well, if you read the previous verses, he's talking about how we need to fulfill the law of love. We need to love one another. That's the only debt that we should owe other people is to love them. He says, do this, that is love one another, understanding the present time. He says, the hour has come for you, and here it is, you could circle it, to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I want you to notice the first point here that he says that you and I must follow if we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, and that is we must wake up. Now, when you have to tell somebody to wake up, that implies that they're in a spiritual stupor. They're spiritually asleep. 
And so what Paul here is challenging the Roman Christians to do is to wake up from their spiritual slumber. Jesus did this to one of the churches in Revelation chapter 3. He says, wake up because you're asleep spiritually. You see, the church today is living off spiritual Benadryl. The church today in America is asleep spiritually. We're not on fire for God. And so we have to wake up in our walk with God. And too many Christians are asleep in the sense that they get sucked up into the world. And obviously, we got to live in the world, but the Bible says we're not to be of the world. And the longer you're a Christian, the easier it becomes to become spiritually apathetic. You see, to be asleep spiritually means that you're spiritually apathetic. You're indifferent. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you don't attend church on Sunday. But what it can mean is that we can go through the routines and we lose our first love. There's no longer a fire. And I'm not saying that in your Christian life, you always have to be a cheerleader. You always have to have this rah-rah attitude. You're not always going to be on the mountaintop in your Christian life. All of us know that's not the Christian life. But listen, if we're not careful, the longer we walk with God, we can become very complacent and indifferent. And make no mistake about it, America today is glutted with Christians that go to church every Sunday, but they're dead spiritually. I didn't say they weren't saved, but they're not on fire for God. They're not awake spiritually. They're going through the motions. In high school, I wasn't a good student. In fact, uh, I, I treated my homework like I like my steak, uh, rare and not well done. And so my mom had to stay on me all the time. I wasn't a student. I was distracted by many other things. And I remember my English teacher called my mother and said, if your son doesn't do well on this exam, he's not going to pass English. And so my mom, I grew up in a Middle Eastern home. You ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? That was the home I grew up in. It was very, very loud. You didn't ask politely. You shouted. And so I remember my mom said, you're going to get in your room right now. She's a Lebanese woman. She said, you're going to get in your room right now and you're going to study. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I go in the room and I get on my knees, not to pray, but I got on my knees to go over my homework. Well, guess what happened? In the process of reviewing boring English, I fell asleep. And I'm sitting there like this, my head down, trying to study. I'm asleep. And my mom comes by to check on me. And as soon as she saw me asleep, she yelled in her Lebanese voice, Michael, wake up. And I remember I jumped. And you know, that's exactly what God is saying to the American church. We need to wake up. Why? Because we can fall into a spiritual stupor. We can become indifferent. We can become careless. We can become lukewarm. And what did Jesus say to the church at Laodicea in Revelation? He says, you're neither hot nor cold. He says, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. In other words, God would rather us either be hot or cold, but not in the middle. Why? Because it nauseates him. That's what he means. He'll spit you out of his mouth. It doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation. It simply means that it makes Christ sick. Listen to what Mark 13 says. Jesus said this in relation to his second coming. He says, therefore, keep what? Watch. That means be alert. Don't allow Satan to rock you into a spiritual lullaby and put you to sleep and put you on spiritual Benadryl. Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, 
do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. You know, there's a professor that asked a bunch of college students one time, what do you think the biggest problem is in the American context? Do you think the problem is apathy or ignorance? A student raised his hand in the back and he said, I don't know and I don't care. And you see, that's the problem in the American church. You say, well, how do I stay awake spiritually, Mike? Because we all have a tendency to fall asleep spiritually. Well, number one, you got to be in the word and you got to be in prayer. That is a given. If you're not regularly feeding yourself the word of God, if you're not meditating, as Joshua 1.8 says, on the word of God, you're going to fall asleep spiritually because the word of God is the mind of God. And when you meditate on the word of God, you are imbibing the mind of God and you're going to have the perspective of God. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be in prayer because that's what fuels your spiritual fire. Furthermore, fellowship. I think we all understand that if we're going to not fall asleep spiritually and stay awake, we've got to be in fellowship. We've got to be intentional about that. Then there is the issue of accountability. Are you involved in a small group? I don't know if you all have small groups here. Do you all have small groups? Be in a small group. Be involved in a one-on-one discipleship relationship. That's what helps you to be accountable. And then there's the issue of service. If you want to stay awake spiritually, don't sit soaking sour. The Bible says get involved. Now I realize there are seasons in our life, especially if we're raising kids, or maybe, maybe we've gone through some trial or trauma, or maybe we've served for so long we need a break. God understands those things. But by and large, we have to be intentional about using our gifts to serve other people. Why? Because as you get involved in serving God, whether it be on Sunday morning in this building or whether it be during the week, you know what it does? It lights a fire under you. I remember when I was in college with my wife, we were dating at the time, and I led a group of students to go to one of the local college campuses to witness. And I remember one time I didn't want to go. I don't know. I was just in a bad mood. I didn't want to go. But I knew I had to lead this team to go to the local community college. And I remember going, and when I got done after witnessing for about 30 minutes to an hour, man, I'll tell you what, it lit a fire under my heart. It totally changed my mood and my perspective. I'm not saying service always does that, but service keeps your spiritual fire burning. And then, of course, change your routine. Sometimes we get into ruts, we get into habits, and as a result, we can get very complacent in our Christian life. In fact, I think that's the reason why Clemson got a good old butt whooping. You know why Clemson got beat so bad? Is because Clemson had this complacency attitude. Been here, been there, done this before. And you see, Ohio State was hungry. And they came out and they took it to them. And that's what can happen in our Christian life. And so Paul says, if you want to be ready for the rapture or the return of Christ, the first thing you got to do is you got to wake up, right? In the morning, you wake up. Second thing you got to do if you want to be prepared is you must clean up. You must clean up. Now, most of you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you do? The first thing you do, I guarantee, is you clean up your mouth. Why? You go in the bathroom and you brush your teeth because you don't want to go downstairs and kill everybody with your laser breath. So you go in there and you clean up. Then you take a shower. Well, that's exactly what we do spiritually. Paul says you got to wake up spiritually if you're asleep And then you got to clean up. Notice what he says in verse 12 and 13. The night is nearly over. 
Now, night in the Bible is a metaphor for sin. It is a metaphor for the reign of sin. He says the night is nearly over. In other words, man's day of sin is almost over. The day, and day in the Bible, again, is a metaphor for the return of Christ. He says the day is almost here. In other words, Jesus is coming right around the corner. So let us, and here it is, put aside. There's the cleaning up. We must put aside, and in the Greek, the word is used of taking off filthy garments. I remember when I was in high school, in ninth grade, I had two football buddies, and they said, hey, our dads are taking us to Waco, Texas. We're going to go hunting. Do you want to go? So I asked my dad, and he said, okay, you can go, and we went hunting out in Texas. I'd never been hunting before. I remember getting the back of a pickup truck and taking a shotgun, and every rabbit that would come out of every hole, boom, 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 we would shoot. And I shot a couple of deer. Never had that experience before. I don't like venison, though, because I had a bad experience. I watched them gut the deer, and then that night we ate venison with white bread and ketchup. And I said, I'll never touch that stuff again. It just did not appeal to me. But I remember we went four-wheeling, and we went into this marsh area. And this marsh area was just filled with mud, and when the wheels would spin, all that mud would come over my head. And when I got done, I will tell you, I was just totally covered in mud. I was black. All you could see were the white of my eyes. And I remember before we got into the house, I had to strip off all the clothes. I had to get rid of all the dirt in order to be able to go in the house. That's the word that's used here in the Greek. It means to lay aside that which is dirty. He says, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he gets specific. The list here isn't exhaustive, but here are some of the things that we are to lay aside. He says, let us behave decently as in the daytime. What does that mean? Act consistent with who you are. If you're a child of the light, if you're a child of the day, act consistent with who you are. And then he tells us what to lay aside not in carousing and drunkenness. This refers to partying. Now, we know this is a big sin in our culture today. A lot of people get drunk and they carouse. When I was in college, I was a part of a fraternity called Pi Kappa Phi. And that's part of the thing that they do in fraternities is they carouse, they get drunk. He says, as a Christian, that is your former life. You don't do that anymore. And then he says, listen, lay aside sexual immorality. The word porneia, we get the word porn from this. Any type of sexual sin, and you know our culture today, is driven by sexual immorality. In fact, this is going to be the defining issue for the church in the future, and I mean the near future, when it comes to persecution. It's going to be over sexuality. If pastors today speak against homosexuality, transgenderism, What's going to happen is they're going to silence pastors. They're going to silence Christians because our culture is built on these things. He says, put aside sexual immorality and debauchery. That means living a life with no restraint, doing what you want. And then he says, not in dissension and jealousy. Now, obviously, he could go on. You could look at the list in Galatians chapter 5. He mentions there the, the sins of the flesh. Whatever it is, you got to figure out what is your struggle. Once you wake up spiritually, if you're asleep spiritually, you got to clean up. And you say, well, what areas do I need to clean up? You got to know your personality. You got to know your area of weakness. 
you got to know what you struggle with. Listen, there are some sins that I don't struggle with anymore. Now, I'm not sinless. No one will reach sinless perfection in this life. There are some who try to teach that theology. It's false doctrine. But you'll notice as you grow in your walk with God, there are certain sins that you may not be pulled by. Listen, I never smoked cigarettes before I became a Christian. I did a lot of other things, but that issue does not appeal to me. I am not tempted. You could wave 20 packs of cigarettes in front of me and I'll walk away. But there are other sins that if you dangle before me, I'm going to be drawn towards. Why? Because I have unique bents just like you do. And so you got to know what it is you struggle with. There's a, a theologian in church history. His name was St. Augustine. In fact, Protestants claim him as their own, and so do Catholics. And St. Augustine was a very wild individual. He slept with a lot of prostitutes. He lived in a moral lifestyle. And one day he was in his backyard and he heard a little girl say the following in Latin, tole lege, tole lege, which in Latin means pick up and read. And so he picked up and when he opened his Bible, it fell to this verse that we're reading right now. And when he read it, he got saved. And Augustine became one of the most brilliant minds in the early church. And one day, he was walking down a boulevard in North Africa, and one of the women that he used to fraternize with and sleep with, one of his prostitute friends, she saw him walking across the street, and she yelled out to him, Augustine, Augustine! It is I, it is I, because he wasn't acknowledging her. And he knew she was there, but he kept walking. She said, Augustine, it is I. And he looked at her and he said, it is no longer I, and he kept walking. See, he realized he had to clean up his life. And you know, as Christians, we can tolerate sin in our life. We're all guilty of that. We get complacent and we begin to tolerate sin in our life. And the way we clean up is through confession and repentance. Now remember, you initially cleaned up your life when you became a Christian, right? Because the Bible says the old you, Romans 6, was crucified with Christ, and the old you with all of its corrupt and evil desires was put to death at salvation. But you know what? Daily, you have to deal with sin in your life. That means you have to, you have to guard what you watch. You have to guard what you listen to. You have to guard who you associate with. See, sin often comes in the heart. That's where we have to deal with it, and that means we have to clean up our life. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says. At salvation, we put off the old man, and we put on the new man. He says, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. That happened at salvation. And then he says, you have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. The old you died when you became a Christian. You became a new creation. The new you emerged. And listen, the reigning monarch of sin was dethroned when you became a Christian. But you know what that, you know what that monarch of sin wants to do? Even though Christ is on the throne of your heart, if you're a true born-again Christian, that reigning monarch of sin wants to get up on the throne and throw Christ off. And if we're not careful, we justify things in our life. You look at this whole scandal with Ravi Zacharias. Most of us know him. 
He's one of the great apologists of our time. And now recently this has come out that, I don't want to go into the details because there are children here, but all of us know. If you don't know what happened, just talk to me afterwards. But, you know, my thought is, how are you preaching from country to country, nation to nation, getting up before skeptics, preaching, and yet you're doing this for years on the side? You see, none of us are above falling. That's why we have to deal with sin in our heart ruthlessly, and we have to guard where we go, who we associate with, because sin can take over. And so if we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, the first thing we got to do is wake up. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you asleep spiritually? You say, of course, Pastor Mike, I come to church every Sunday. Listen, you can come to church every Sunday, and you could be spiritually asleep. He says, wake up. The second thing he says is clean up. Put aside the deeds of darkness and clean up your life. We do that through confession and repentance. And I have to do that every day. I don't know about you. Maybe you all are more spiritual than me, but I confess my sins all the time. Why? Because I say things I shouldn't say. I think thoughts I shouldn't think. I do things that I shouldn't do. But listen, I don't want to have skeletons in my closet. Even though we sin as Christians... Even though we are sinless, we will sin less as we grow as a Christian. And that means i got to deal with sin in my heart. Well, there's one final thing he says that you and I must do if we're going to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ, and that is we must, we must dress up. We must dress up. It says number two here. It's really number three. Sorry for the typo. We must dress up. Notice what he says in verses 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension, jealousy. Rather, here it is, circle it, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to dress up. It means we put on Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, if you and I are going to be ready for Christ, we got to wake up, we got to clean up, but then he says, we got to dress up. You say, why? Because remember what he said earlier, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What does that mean? We're closer to the return of Christ. Do you realize that salvation has three tenses? Let me show you. You have justification, the Bible says, the moment you believe in Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous by God. That is a one-time act where God forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. That is justification. It is a declarative act that happens the moment you believe. Justification is not a process. The Catholic Church teaches justification is a process. It's not. It is a one-time act. Then there is sanctification. Once I'm justified, I begin the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And then the final phase is glorification. Those are the three phases of salvation. You got justification, you got sanctification, and over here you got glorification. Glorification is when I get to heaven and I'm perfect body and soul. Now, when he says our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, is he talking about justification, sanctification, or glorification. He's talking about glorification. So he says, you need to put on Jesus Christ. Why? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're closer to glorification. And what does it mean to put on Christ? It means every day you make a decision. 
you're either going to go into the closet of the flesh and you're going to put on criticism, you're going to put on lust, you're going to put on gossip, you're going to put on uh, profanity, you're going to put on those clothes. You make a decision every day which closet you're going to go to, or you're going to go to the closet where Jesus is and the fruits of the Spirit are, and you're going to put on those garments. We make that decision every day, do we not? When you're at work and your coworker tells that dirty joke, and sometimes it's funny, you got to decide, am I going to laugh? Or if you, you get asked to do something that's compromising on your job, you got to make a decision. Am I going to honor God? Now, it's interesting when he says here, put on Jesus Christ and make no provision to gratify the desires of the flesh. The Greek literally says, do not go out of your way to satisfy your lusts. Sometimes we get hit with temptation. It just comes out of the blue and we fail. That's different than intentionally looking out for it. You got to know your weaknesses. When I was in college, my pastor in South Florida got me involved in selling bathroom deodorizers. It was the worst job I ever had. And I made the bad mistake in order to provide incentives for the business owners and the restaurants. I said, here's what I'll do. If you allow me to put a deodorizer in your bathroom, men and women, I'll clean your toilets for you. Woohoo, that was a bad mistake. I don't want to tell you the stories that I saw. But you know what? I remember one day I went to this particular establishment and there were several gals behind the counter and one of them, as I was giving my spiel, she looked at me and she said this. She said, do you put these in homes? And I knew exactly what she was getting at. She goes, do you put these in homes? Can you put it in my home? And I was a young Christian at the time in college, not married. I said, it's time to exit stage left even. It's time to get out of here. See, I would have made provision for the flesh if I went out of my way to go to her house. Maybe nothing would have happened. Maybe something would have happened. You know what? If I would have gone there, I would have made provision for the flesh. Don't put yourself in a situation where you know you're going to fall. You got to know your weaknesses. We all do. And I know some of us have weaknesses. They're besetting sins. We struggle with them. How many of you struggle with your mouth? Raise your hand. I'm talking about eating here. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we all struggle, right? With our mouth. Sometimes it just happens voluntarily. Lord, forgive me for that. And then there are things that we plan. For some of you, you got to be careful on the computer. Why? Because you have a tendency maybe to look at porn or maybe to engage in gossip. For some of you, it could be overeating. I think for all of us, we all struggle with that one. Nothing wrong with a good meal, but gluttony's never talked about in the church, is it? But it could be that. You got to know what you struggle with. Maybe it's being a critical person. It's not always the big sins. Maybe it's you're a critical person. You're always negative. You see the negative in everything. In fact, if you were going through a beautiful meadow field and the sky is blue and the sun is shining bright and it's all beautiful, you're the type of person that would be the first one to find the manure pile. And there are Christians like that. They're not going to find all the beautiful. Maybe your tendency is to be critical or maybe it's worry, anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's woe is me, or you're always wanting attention. There's, there's a myriad of things that we all struggle with. And you know what I love about the Lord? The Lord is gracious, the Bible says. When we confess our sins and repent, God always forgives us. We live under the canopy of his grace. 
where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Isn't that great? I don't have to walk around in bondage, but listen, God wants me daily to put on Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. You'll notice the picture. We put on Jesus Christ at salvation. If you'll throw that up there. You see right there, the moment you came to Christ, Galatians 3.27 says what? You clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ positionally. Positionally, you are perfectly righteous. Let me ask it this way. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how righteous are you? The Bible says positionally you're a 10. You're just as righteous as Jesus is righteous. Why? Because God made you one with Christ at the moment of salvation. So when God sees you, he sees you through the filter of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's why I'm acceptable to go to heaven. It's not based on my righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ. That's why God can accept me into heaven. But listen, are you listening? Say amen. There's a difference between position and practice. My position is I'm righteous. My practice is I need to act righteous. You know what the key to the Christian life is? It's allowing your practice to match your position. Because I am positionally righteous, I'm clothed with Christ positionally. Therefore, I need to act righteous in my day-to-day life. And when I don't put on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I get in a fight with my spouse and I say things that I shouldn't say, you ever been there before? You ever said things in your marriage you shouldn't say? I tell people, me and my wife, we don't fight. We just have intense fellowship. No, that's not true. See, we're all guilty. We say things we shouldn't say. And so we got to confess our sins and ask the Lord to forgive us. And so how do we get ready for the return of Jesus Christ? We are living in great times. Yes, they are tumultuous with what's going on. Listen, this may be the calm before the storm on Wednesday. We don't know what's going to happen. Trump may still keep the presidency. And if he does, I'm going to tell you this, chaos is going to break out in our country. I don't think it's going to happen. And I'm not giving you my opinion of which one I want to happen. I'm simply saying this. We may see chaos this week, and it may go on for months. We don't know. There's a lot of upheaval in our culture. Coronavirus. We're living, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, violent times, difficult times. And the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture, is right around the corner. How do we get ready? Three responses, Paul says, to the Romans we're to have. Number one, we are to what? Let's say it out loud. What is it? Wake up. We need to wake up. If you're asleep spiritually, I want to encourage you, wake up. Quit hitting the spiritual snooze button. Quit. You need to get on spiritual no-dos to stay awake spiritually. Secondly, you need to what? You need to clean up. Is there things in your life that God is asking you to clean up? And you know what? For a lot of us, confession is easy. You know what's harder? Repentance. Confession says, God, I'm sorry. Repentance means you turn from it. Confession is taking a plant and cutting it off at the top. That's confession. You know what repentance is? It's grabbing it and pulling it up by its roots and throwing it away. That's repentance. So he says, wake up, clean up. And what's the third response? Dress up, put on Jesus Christ every day. This morning I was on my way to Calvary Lexington because I had to do announcements at the nine o'clock service and communion. And there was two cars in front of me. And I'll tell you what, I moved here from Jersey about uh, three years ago. And when I got here, I said, man, these people can't drive here. 
Everybody's a lot slower here. And so these two cars were in front of me, and the one in the front was driving just ungodly slow. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I'm so I'm, I'm tempted to get impatient here. I wasn't cussing or anything, but I was getting impatient. And um, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pass them up. There was two lines. You know, you're not supposed to do that. My wife reminds me of that. You know, that was two lines. I say, yeah, I know. I'm still passing. So I, I wanted to pass them, and I said, no, I'm not going to do anything illegal, and I'm going to learn to be patient. I'm going to put on Christ. You ever been there before in traffic? Well, we finally get to that four-way stop near the golf course, and that slow person turns right. And then the other person speeds up, and guess where they turn into? Calvary Chapel, Lexington. And I'm one of the pastors there. Now imagine if I sped up in front of both of them like a bat out of hell. That girl would have thought, hey, that's Pastor Mike. He's got a University of Miami sticker on his truck. That would have been a bad testimony. See, we have to put on Christ daily, and it's those daily decisions that we all have to make, right? Because we want to reflect Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us that your return is near. And even though they thought you would return in their lifetime, you didn't. Lord, we know now that there are pieces of the puzzle that are coming together that would indicate that we are getting closer. And even though we don't set dates, we know, Father Lord, that a lot of prophetic pieces are coming together. And we thank you for the blessed hope that we have, as Titus 2 says, as we wait for the return of Christ. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be ready here at Calvary Chapel and all churches in America. God, I, I pray that you would wake the American church up, Father. We are asleep spiritually. We are indifferent. Father, we confess that sin to you, Father, in the American church. Lord, when 10% of the people do 90% of the work in the church, there is a problem. We are asleep spiritually. When the sins in the church mirror the sins in the world, Father, forgive us. We are just like the world. And if you're sitting here this morning, maybe God spoke to you, something in your heart. Maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you're indifferent. You're not on fire for the Lord. Would you ask the Lord this morning to rekindle that fire in your heart? Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he said that we are to always keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Just take a minute right now to do business with God. Is there something God is asking you to forsake, to put in the fire? Father, light a fire in the American church. Lord, we need another awakening. We need another revival. God, we need revival in the pulpits, that you would raise up a generation of pastors that would preach the word of God with fire, and that, Father, you would do a work in our nation. Father, we are so far gone in this country, Lord, unless you intervene, there is no hope for America. And so, God, we cry out to you, and we ask, Lord God, that you would be gracious to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand as we close and worship together. And listen, as you go out this week, remember, you go out to the mission field when you leave this place. 
And remember, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. God wants you to be salt and light as you go out into a lost and dying world. And in the times we're living in, I want to encourage you, be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. Let's worship God.